Norm Wakefield with us. Um, he is no stranger to this church. Uh, he is almost like family. I think he has a secondary membership here. I don't know. But to me, he's like an older brother in the faith, for sure. Um, and like an older brother, he constantly beats me up with God's truth in a, in a nice way that only an older brother could. He challenges me to be bold for the truth. And I need that desperately, and I know you do as well. Um, we went through his book recently, um, and it was a, an intense challenge. Matter of fact, the folks were looking forward to you being in Sunday school so you could stand and give an account for that book. <laughs> Yeah, you might want to bring Alma with you. You'd be safer. I, I would say that. But, brother, we need that. Would you please give your undivided attention and give a warm Middle Georgia welcome, much like the weather today, to Brother Norm Wakefield. Thanks, Paul. Appreciate it so much. Thank you so much. Thank you for leading us in communion this morning. That was wonderful. It's so good to see you and be back with you. You know, God... Um, God teaches us. He lives with us, so he teaches us. He told us he would give us the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit would teach us the things that Christ wants us to know. So I want to talk to you about knowing God and living your purpose. I wonder if you've noticed how much of your lives are determined by the questions that you ask. Have you ever thought about that? I've been thinking about that for the last few months. Um, and we're going to talk about the questions that you ask and how it impacts your life. But as we talk, and that has to do with living your purpose, because whatever your purpose is, that's going to determine your questions. So let me show you what I mean. Purpose determines everything we do. Here's an example in the in God's from God's perspective. Check this passage out in Acts chapter four. You'll notice that this is right after the disciples were told not to preach anymore in the name of Jesus. And here's how they responded to that. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. So what determined, you see they're looking at that and what these, they're even looking at the crucifixion of Jesus, which we just celebrated, and said, God did that. It's like that video, God accomplished this. This was all the work of God. And so they're looking at the persecution as a continuation of God's purpose. That God's at work, he gathered these people together, these very same people that killed Jesus are the ones that are telling them, don't preach in his name. So their view of this was God is at work and God has a purpose in it. And the purpose predetermined why God did what he did. Well, I say that because I want you to um, grasp that you and I do the very same thing, that whatever we view our purpose is for something, it will dictate what we do. And so now I want to take that idea and ask you to consider what is your purpose. I mean, what is your purpose for life? Why did you get up this morning? Why are you going through this day? Why have you gone through all the days before today? How are you going to go through tomorrow and the next day? 
your purpose is determining what you do. Some people's purpose is to be happy. So what's the question that they ask when something happens? What's going to make me happy? And then they pursue it. Some people, it's to be successful. And every time something happens, they're asking themselves, what's going to make me more successful? And then they do it. For some people, it's popular, being significant. Is this going to make me more popular? Is this going to make me more of a, you know, an important person? Those all have to, those questions all have to do with purpose. Have you ever articulated your purpose? I mean, have you ever really thought about it and put it in print? Have you ever just put it before you and said, okay, this is why I exist? Well, I've been thinking about that because of some verses. And I would like to suggest to you that the Christian's overarching purpose is to know God the Father and the Son. There it is. Now I want to show you that from the scriptures. That the purpose every day you get up, every day you go through life, is to know God the Father and to know the Son. Let me show you. Let's get the big picture. We are the only creature that is created that has the capacity to know God. There's no other creature that can know God and can interact with him and get to know him by experience. It says in Genesis, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, the reason I'm wanting you to look at this verse is this. The capacity to know another person and to have intimacy and fellowship and to experience union between two people is rooted in the image of God. The Father and the Son have a relationship, and they know one another. The Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Father. The Son knows the Father and what the Father loves, and the Father knows the Son and knows what the Son loves, and all of creation flows out of that knowing each other. And relating to one another. So, follow this line of thought. God created us with the capacity to know him and to know each other because the Father and the Son have that capacity. And they are united as one through their fellowship together. Now, the expression of the Father and the Son together is the Holy Spirit. It's not like God is a love triangle. Let you think about that one. The Holy Spirit is what happens when the Father and the Son know each other and love each other. He is also knowable and has the qualities of personhood. So the fact that God made us to know and to be known, to have intimate fellowship with God and each other is revealed in the following passage of Scripture. It's there in Genesis. Then the Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I'll make him a helper suitable for him. Now, why wasn't it good? Is it just because he would be lonely? No. It's not good because without another person, they couldn't know God. I'm going to let you think on that. Without another person, you couldn't know God. 
Because God is all about relationship. God is all about knowing the Son and the Son knowing the Father. So God understood. He made male and female because he understood we couldn't know the Father and we couldn't know the Son. Well, one, without being fathers and mothers and without having sons and daughters. You couldn't know the Father without relationship. You couldn't know the Son. So God's plan was to teach us about his thoughts, his feelings, his love through marriage and through family. It was all to know the Father and the Son. What, so that just shows us this, that God's purpose for us to know him required relationship. Are you with me on that line so far? I'm going to build on it. So if you didn't have relationships with each other, there's no way you could know God. So why are we here? To know God. Why are we in fellowship with each other? To know God. Now, look what it says in 2.24. For this reason, a man shall leave a father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So God's purpose from the very first was to make two creatures who bore his image, namely with the capacity to know and experience the Father and the Son, And he created Adam and Eve. He gave them life. He gave them the ability to know God, the Father, and the Son. And they feasted on that. They lived on that. They had the tree of life in the garden. And it was good. But for us to truly know eternal life by experience and to know the love of the Father and the love of the Son, something tragic had to happen. Can you guess what it was? We had to lose it. We had to lose the capacity to know God. The only thing that could restore it would be the love of the Father for the Son and the love of the Son for the Father. Lived and expressed on this planet in the sight of mankind. We had to lose the relationship. You'll notice in Genesis 2, 16 and 17, the Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Now remember, God's purpose predetermines everything. So if God gathered everybody together, Paul, I mean Pontius Pilate, Herod, Gentiles, the Jews, to accomplish what his purpose predestined to occur. Then, do you think that God gathered Adam and Eve and Satan and the law in the garden and the tree that they can't eat of? Do you think maybe he could have orchestrated all that to accomplish what his purpose predestined to occur? Of course. His purpose, to make himself known, For us to know him required the loss of it. The only thing is the loss of the capacity to know him. God's purpose, uh, the fall of man, was not the end of God's good purpose. It was actually for the accomplishing of God's good purpose. The love of God for his son and the love of the son for his father and thus the outpouring of the Holy Spirit could not possibly be known without the loss of the fundamental thing for which we were created to know the father and the son the ability to have fellowship with god so 
the separation and death had to be by our own hand, and God accomplished that. He just simply put the elements together. We're in the image of God. A law, don't eat, and Satan to tempt. Put the three together, and you've got the fall. And who's to blame? That would be us. We're to blame. But all of that is accomplishing his purpose. So God's purpose determined that the, all these things would come together and the result was expected and it was planned for. He drove man out and at the east of the garden he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. They died, we died, all of us died, all of us lost the capacity to know the Father and the Son. Are you still tracking with me? Have I lost you yet? This is going to explode here in a minute with purpose. But you kind of have to go through this part to see how powerful this is. You see, take a look at these verses in Genesis 5, 1 through 3. I want you to notice something. It says this. <coughs> Pardon me. This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created, ma- created them male and female, and he blessed them and named them man. That's the word for man is Adam, means dust, ground, earth. In the day when, he, when they created him, or when they were created. I want you to notice a contrast. Look at the next verse. When Adam had lived 130 years, he became the father of a son in his own likeness, according to his image, and named himself. What's the contrast? He's made in his image, not God's image. Did you know that there are only three human beings that have ever been created in the image of God? Adam, Eve, and Jesus. They're the only ones. I've heard most of my life that all of man is created in the image of God. No, we're not. There's nobody created in the image of God. We're all created in the image of Adam as a sinner. He was our first father. In fact, this is how ruined we are. Look at this verse in chapter 6. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. There's no wiggle room for good in there. None at all. There is no image of God left in man. He does not have the capacity to know the Father and the Son. It's impossible. It can't happen. There's no vestige of the righteous image of God left. It's completely destroyed. So, here's what's changed, and now here's the explosion. Do you remember when Adam was tempted, how Satan started off the temptation? He started it off with a question. And the question was, did God indeed mean that that you can't eat from the tree? Let me translate that. What do you think about what God said? What do you feel about what God said? And we have, that has been the life-determining question for all of mankind and why they do what they do. See, the sinner's overarching purpose is to know himself. You can tell this is true by the questions you ask. For instance, 
When's the last time when something happened, you asked yourself, well, what do I think about that? Well, like, all the time? I mean, I'm surprised if you're not sitting here thinking, what do you think or feel about what I'm saying? (laughs) True? (laughs) That's because you're a sinner. (laughs) No offense intended. That's what sin did to us. It changed our purpose. Our purpose became like as if we are God. The most important thing about my life is knowing what I think or feel. So something happens and I ask, well, what do I think about that? What do I feel about that? How does it affect me? And you will notice this about everybody that you have met. Only Christians ask different questions than this. Everybody else, when something happens, they ask, what do I think about this? And then they respond or react. Isn't that true? What do I feel about this? I mean, you'll even read something in the Bible. I'll give you an example here in a moment. And you'll read it and you go, I don't like that. (laughs) As if that matters. I mean, we're reading the Word of God. And we will say, well, I don't feel good about that. That's how whacked we are. And that's how much it impacts us. You see, these questions always lead to separation from God. Here's the explosion. Grasp this. Anytime you live your life and you ask the question, what do I think or feel, it will always lead you to separation from God. It did when Adam asked it, and that's why Satan presented the question that way, and it has done it ever since. Not only that, it will lead you to separation from people. Your husband, your wife, your kids, your parents. Because just think about it. If every time something happens, you ask, well, what do I think or feel about it? And if it's not what they think or feel about it, you've got a problem. Isn't that true? You've got two people living like Adam and Eve, after they, which led them into sin, reacting back and forth to one another. Well, what do I think or feel about what he thinks or feels? Then he tells me what he thinks or feels, and I don't feel good about that. So then I tell them how I'd feel about that, and they don't like, and they don't think or feel the same way I do, and next thing you know, we're into it. It always leads to separation. Folks, that's profound. That is no small truth. It affects the way you live your life. The questions you ask determine how you live your life most of the time. You see, what Jesus came to do, what this is all about that we just celebrated wasn't just so you could go to heaven when you die. It was to give you eternal life. It was to restore what Adam and Eve lost. And that was the image of God. You see, Jesus, when he came, he is the exact image of God. Look what it says in Colossians 1.15. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. Hebrews 1.3. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature the son knows the father he came to restore God's purpose in mankind namely it was so we would have the capacity to know the father and know the son all right watch this in John 17 just to make my point since I don't want you to think these are my thoughts and what I feel about it (laughs) 
<laughs> but you will have some feelings about the verses you're about to read. Are you ready? John 17, Jesus is about to go to the cross. He's praying to the Father. Jesus spoke these things, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Now, I want you to watch the relationship between the Father and the Son. We are, as you read this, you're getting to know the Father and the Son. The Father loves to glorify the Son. The Son loves to glorify the Father. That's what it's all about. That's what all of creation is about. That's why you're here. That's why I'm here. It is all for him. And notice what he says next. Even as you gave him authority over all flesh, here it is, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. That they, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. So what is eternal life? It's knowing the Father and knowing the Son. Who do you get it from? You get it from Jesus. Where did he get the authority to give eternal life? He got that from his Father. That's how the Father glorifies the Son, gives him the authority to give you eternal life. If the Father gives the Son authority to give eternal life, then it's good to know the Son. Don't you think? This is, a, this is one you want to know. Now, can you see why I'm saying to you that God's purpose, Jesus came to restore God's purpose, that you might know the Father and know the Son? The question I have for you this morning is this. Do you have eternal life? I'm not asking you if you've invited Christ into your heart. I'm asking you, do you have eternal life? Do you know the Father? And do you know the Son? And by the way, what do you think or feel about the fact that he only gives it to those the Father gives him? What do you think about that? Hmm. I can tell you what I think about it. I think you ought to give it to everybody. That's just, I, I'm just saying. Uh, knowing me, I would say, in fact, I've read this verse to many people, and, and they'll say, um, well, what about, you mean God's okay with people going to hell? I go, well, I don't know. I don't think he's okay with that necessarily because it says he doesn't take pleasure in the death of the wicked, so I know he, it's not like he has a celebration time over it. But all I can say is he gives eternal life to those the Father gave him because that's what he tells us so we can know that about him. Well, then I can't help it, and probably you can't either, but because our purpose, we think, is to know us, we're more concerned about knowing what we think about what he says than knowing what he says. And that was the problem in the first place. That's what got us into trouble. That's why we're so sinful. It's because we were, what Adam and Eve did was they set precedents. That it's more, con, I'm more concerned about knowing what I think and feel about what God says than what God says. Than I'm about knowing God. I don't know about you, but that kind of thinking has gotten me into a whole lot of trouble. 
Everything that has been bad in my life is because of that, that kind of thinking. That my purpose, I didn't even realize it. I didn't even think this through. I didn't ever have anybody help me think this through. Nobody's ever even questioned it in my life until a few months ago when I was with Jesus and reading those verses in John 17. And I thought, oh my goodness. I have the capacity to know the Father and the Son. Wow. I can know God. God lives in me. Well, if I can know him, then that's more important than anything else in my life. That's my purpose. That's what everything's about. God gave me Jesus so I could know the Father and the Son. And I started asking a different set of questions than I'd been asking up to that time. You see, the redeemed sinner's overarching purpose, if eternal life is to know the Father and the Son, ought to be to know God the Father and to know the Son. What questions then? I mean, and by the way, why do we ask questions? Isn't it because we want to know something? Right? So if we ask, what do I think or feel? Because we want to know ourselves as if we are God. That's what sin did to us. That's why we ask, what do I think or feel about everything that happens? As if we are God and knowing us is the most important thing. What questions do you think we ought to be asking? What does God the Father think? What does the Son think? What does God the Father feel? What are the Father and the Son experiencing together? How does what I do or say affect the Father and the Son? Those questions are very important questions. Can you see how important they are? I mean, this is changing my life. I, I'm not going to tell you it's changed it completely. I'm in process. We're all in process. I'm just simply, ca- I, I simply came here this morning to give you what God has given me. And to ask you these questions because the questions you ask determine how you live. Determines the fruit of your life. What can I know about the Father and the Son? Those are the questions we should be asking. Like, for instance, we have communion up here. And without even realizing it, as we go through this experience, we will ask, well, what do I think and feel about this? Paul did a great job. I felt really good about what you did there. And I'm not joking. Uh, It was a good experience for me. But... The pressing question ought to be, what can I know about the Father and the Son in what we just went through? Now, here's what's interesting about asking these questions. If asking what do I think or feel always leads me to separation from God and people, guess what? Asking what does God the Father think and feel, guess where it leads me? It always leads me to union with God. All right, think about the Father and the Son. What questions is the Son asking that dictates his life? What does my Father think and feel? What is, this, what is the Father thinking? He's thinking about the Son. How can I glorify my Son? What, how can I bless my Son? How can I love my Son? That's what's going... That's, If you want to get to know the Father and the Son, you have to know, you get to know them by this. Because the communion 
the son giving up his body and, giving, and shedding his blood was because he loved the father. And you know why the father commanded the son to come and give up his body and his blood for us? It's because he wanted to glorify the son. We just, we just saw it. We just read it in John 17. He loves his son. You think, could it be love that tells his son to go die? How does that work? Because as he obeys his father, he experiences the joy of obeying his father. And he knows the joy of the father. And in knowing the joy of the father, he knows and loves his father more. And the father knew that. So when the father told the son to do that, he was telling the son exactly what he needed to know the father and love the father and experience the love of the father. And that's why he can come and say, love one another as I have loved you and love as I as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. And then he says, abide in my love. And you will know me. You will know my Father. You see, these questions always lead us to union with God. And if you're with somebody else that's asking the same questions, it will lead you to union with them. And that's the church. The reason there is no, if there's no unity in a church, it's because somebody's asking what do I think or feel instead of how can I know the Father and the Son. Let that one sit for you a moment. It's because you've got somebody in the church whose purpose is an eternal life. You've got somebody in the church whose purpose is to know themselves. Does that make sense? I'm just breaking it down to the simple. The simple principle that runs everything. It runs our lives. It runs how we live. Do you think Paul may have gotten the memo on this one? Look what he says. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. Wow. He goes on. And may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Wow. So, folks, let's get practical. In every situation, we ought to be asking, how can I know him? How can I know him when someone rejects you? Have you ever had someone reject you? Sure you have. How many of you reacted on what you thought or felt about somebody reacting? Okay, now we're down to life. Okay, that's the real thing. <clears throat> what if God sent someone to reject you, left them to themselves, and they're thinking, what do I feel and think about you, and then they let you know, just so you could know the love of the Father and the Son. What if he did that? 
Oh, by the way, that is why he did it. <laughs> Go back and look at that differently. Go back and ask a different set of questions. You went down the wrong road. You asked, what do I think or feel? And it led you to separation from them, didn't it? Because it always does. Not only that, it led you to separation from God. Because you did not love. You probably returned evil for evil. And rejected them back. Because that's pretty typical. Once you go down that other road. You see... When someone rejects you or when you're suffering from sickness or pain, anybody got any physical issues? Why is, are they there? It's so you can know the love of the Father for the Son and the love of the Son for the Father. And you can know their comfort. So you can know. Let me, let me explain how this works. Now, you'll have to think about this for a long time. This, just doing this today is not going to be enough. You... You'll need to think on this until I come back next time. That could be next year. I don't know. But you need to think about this for the rest of your lives. <clears throat> I'm going to. I plan to because I have eternal life. The whole idea of having eternal life is I'm going to get to know the Father and the Son. So I have begun asking those questions. And Jesus lives in me. So when I feel sick, like a few weeks ago when I had my appendix out in Columbia. Some of you heard about that. You prayed for me. Thank you so much. Within a couple of days, it was all done and over. It was just kind of like a little hiccup. <clears throat> I walked five miles within three days of that surgery and felt great. I mean, uh, and it's just amazing, the grace of God that came. However, the reason it came was because I wasn't asking what I feel or think about having an appendicitis attack in Medellin, Colombia. Now, that did come to my mind. I'm not lying to you. In the middle of the night is when it began. But then I went to the questions, Father, how can I know your faithfulness for the Son as I'm hurting? And I asked the Lord Jesus to respond to this in me and love the Father and respond to the Father. And I'm just listening. I'm just watching the reaction between the Father and the Son. Christ living in me, loving his Father. And I start thinking, well, I know what the Father loves. The Father loves, I know this from Colossians chapter 1, 19 and 20, that Jesus Christ would be first place in all things. So how can I make Jesus Christ first place in this appendicitis attack? That, see, going down the road, what does the Father think and what does the Son think? Took me down the road to knowing the Father and the Son and to knowing how to respond in this situation. And that was... I. I, I read the Bible, and I find out what God thinks, and Colossians 1, 19 and 20 tells me that Jesus Christ, God thinks this, he made him head of the church, so Jesus Christ would be first place in all things, first place in an appendicitis attack, and that he would be the fullness. So, Lord, how can I make much of you in this? Now I start thinking, that's, I know the Father wants that, so now I'm getting in line with what I know about the Father, but now I need to know from the Son, how can I make much of you, Lord Jesus. How can I glorify the Father? Would you do that in me? And it was worship. It was just receive it from him, that I can know him, and thank him that I can know him deeper and better through an appendicitis attack in Columbia. That's just one little illustration. That illustration could be multiplied a million times in our lives with every little thing. When you don't like something, when's the last time something happened that you didn't like? Just think about it. Have you got it in your mind now? 
<laughs> okay, that shouldn't take long. <clears throat> Isn't it true that the more you focused on what you thought and felt about it, the downer you got? <laughs> the more com gripey and <laughs> complainy and whatever, you grumbled. Maybe you went and told somebody off. <laughs> I don't know. But you know. What if you had asked the question, Father, how can I know you better? Lord Jesus, how can I know you better? How is this going to affect you by how I respond to this? Would it have taken you down a different road? It would, wouldn't it? When you're reading the Bible, how many times do you read the Bible and ask, what do I think or feel? It will always separate you from God. You don't read the Bible for what you think or feel about the Bible. As if you're the God over the Bible. You read the Bible to find out what God thinks and what God feels. That's the purpose. That's your purpose in life. When you're praying, how many times have you prayed according to what you thought or felt? <laughs> I've done that thousands of times. Something comes up. <coughs> I'm praying for my wife or praying for my grandkids, and I think about how I feel, and I pray what I feel. Instead of... Saying, Father, what do you want? How can they know you better? How can I pray so that they can know you better? Changes the way you pray. So you just look at those questions. Boy, that would affect a lot of your life, wouldn't it? How much of your life consists of those things? You see what I'm saying? The questions you ask determine the way you live your life. It's being determined by your purpose. When you're serving others. Have you ever tried to serve some, you started to serve somebody and they treated you like a servant? Didn't appreciate you? They just felt like you were supposed to do it anyway because, I mean, they're important and you're a servant. And how did you feel about that? You see what I'm saying? You don't ask how you feel. You say, Father, Lord Jesus, how can I know you better in serving these people? And it'll take you down the right road. So, the Christian's purpose is that you may know him. And so you want to ask, Father, Son, what do you think? Father, Son, what do you feel? Father and Son, what can I learn about you? Father and Son, how can I make much of you? Father and Son, how can I know and reveal your love? Those kinds of questions will always lead you to union with God and knowledge of God or eternal life. You will experience what you were made for, what you were saved for. You will be fitting into your purpose, why God saved you. So, um, I close with this. Are we ever going to arrive? Uh, no. <laughs> Look what Paul goes on to say. Not that I've already obtained it or I've already become perfect or mature, but I press on. And I, that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Why did Jesus Christ lay hold of you? It's because the Father gave you to him. And why did he give you eternal life? Because the Father purposed that you would have eternal life. And that that would be your purpose. Rather than destruction. Big sigh of relief there. I mean, that's the only two options. <laughs> We haven't obtained this yet, 
the full knowledge of God the Father and the Son. But we've been saved for that purpose. So what is Paul saying? He's saying, I'm pressing on. I'm, this is what I was here for. He says, brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, nor do I. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, and boy, we need to forget what lies behind, don't we? How much have we lived our lives asking the question, what do I think or feel? Let's forget that. Let's press on. Now we know our purpose is to know God. Our purpose is eternal life. If you have eternal life living in you, then you have that purpose. If you have that purpose, you have that capacity. Hallelujah. Woo. He will let you know him. He says, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, which is knowing him perfectly. So there it is, folks. I am suggesting to you this morning, I believe it's why God sent me, to remind you of your overarching purpose, to know the Father and to know the Son. What are you experiencing in life? So what do you think? Oh, the wrong question. <laughs> I was just seeing if you're paying attention. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what do you think? No. See? We don't that's do you see how natural that is to do that? What does God think about what I've said? I can tell you what God thinks because I know him. This is good. And this is big. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, I thank you that you've made it possible for us to have eternal life and to know you. There may be some in this room that do not have eternal life. They've lived their entire lives asking, what do I think or feel? And that today's the day that they can repent. Repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And they will see the sin of living for themselves. And see the hope of giving their lives to you. That they may know you. So, Lord Jesus, accomplish your work for the love of your Father. For you have been given all authority over all flesh. That to whomever he's given you, you may give eternal life. So today, if there are any in this room, that today's the day for you to give them eternal life, then I'm praising you for giving it. That their eyes are opened, their hearts are opened. And you will grant them repentance and faith in Christ's name. And Lord, for the rest of us that have eternal life, may we now embrace it and live it according to your purpose, I pray. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Wow. <laughs>